all of us know the power of a good testimonial. Think about it. The next time you're pondering a book to purchase, whether you're in a library or a bookstore, notice that when you pick up that book off the shelf and study its cover, instinctively, reflexively, we all do this, you flip the book over, don't you, to look at the endorsements, to see what other people have said about that book. And if you know that person, familiar with that personality, or know that publication, you care about what they say about that book. Think about the next time you're trying to decide what movie to watch on an upcoming weekend. How do you decide what movie to watch? In large part, by reading the reviews. And if Rotten Tomatoes likes it, you probably will too. The next time you read an op-ed column or a piece in the op-ed section of the newspaper or a website, instinctively notice how your finger scrolls down to the bottom to the comment thread to see what other people are saying. That's the time we live in now. We used to pride ourselves in being ruggedly individual, making decisions for ourselves regardless of what other people say. But deep down inside, we can all attest to the power of the testimonial. And when enough people are saying the same things, eventually it does make an impact That's true when it comes to making consumer choices like books and movies. But it's even more so the case when it comes to trying to motivate a person to do something that they are very reluctant to do. Remember, the next time you're trying to motivate an individual to do something that they don't want to do, you might want to try to harness the power of the testimony to make it happen. And I think that that must have been operating in the back of Paul's mind when he had the rather dubious task of trying to motivate the church in Corinth, the members of the Corinthian church, to do something that they also were reluctant to do. And if there's a part of you this morning that's reluctant to engage in this stewardship series, perhaps you too will be motivated by the power of the testimony. Paul was on a fundraising tour of sorts. He was crisscrossing through churches all throughout Asia Minor, churches that he'd planted, individuals that he was familiar with, in order to solicit financial contributions from them in order to solve a very pressing need. And the problem was this. There was widespread poverty among Christians in Jerusalem. Poor people in Jerusalem were growing in numbers, and they were all coming from the same reason. All of these people who were poor originally started out not living in Jerusalem, but in towns and villages all throughout the region. They were Jewish people, and as as good Jewish people, they observed the great commandments to go to Jerusalem often throughout the year in order to observe festivals and feast days and holy days as good Jews are supposed to do. But something happened to these Jews. On more than one occasion, these Jews who came to Jerusalem to observe these rituals came across Christians 
living in Jerusalem. And it was from them that these Jews began to hear stories about this person named Jesus Christ. Powerful stories about his life and his death and his resurrection. And many of these Jews who had come simply to observe good Jewish practice actually became followers of Jesus instead. Little did they know at the time that they became Christians and decided to follow Jesus that that would cost them everything. Because they were no longer Jews, they felt like they could not return to the life that they knew. They couldn't go home. Couldn't go back to their towns and their villages. In many cases, couldn't go back to their families. Which meant they also lost their jobs and their livelihoods. The very means in which they were making a living, they had to say goodbye to that too in order to stay in Jerusalem, to stay among the company of Christians that had welcomed them into their fellowship, which meant they were growing in number in Jerusalem and none of them had homes or jobs or livelihoods or a way of caring for themselves and they didn't have a future as well. And so Jerusalem like many of our modern-day inner cities, became an urban community swelling at the seams with the problem of poverty. Paul took a look at this growing number of poor Christians, and he decided that this was completely unacceptable. The person should not have to forego a livelihood in order to follow Jesus And so he decided to do something to address this problem. He decided to go to other congregations for help. And so there he was in the first century of Palestine, instituting for the very first time the very same thing that every preacher that would follow him since would have to institute in a congregation, including this particular senior pastor who has now returned to this Hyde Park congregation to do this with you for the very first time. Paul instituted the very first stewardship sermon. He made his first pitch to the Corinthian church the year prior. He said, folks, let me tell you about these poor people in Jerusalem. There is a problem here, and the solution is in your pockets. And by and large, from what we can tell, that first stewardship sermon worked because the Corinthian church the year ago responded generously and lavishly. They dug deep into their financial resources and they gave to Paul just as other churches did and they addressed the problem in Jerusalem, which of course it didn't go away, but it put a big dent in the issue because Paul now found himself a full year later having to go back to those same Corinthians to say there's still more work to do. But you know what? Something happened. Something must have happened within that Corinthian community. Because whereas a year before those Corinthians were very generous and quick to respond with their financial contributions, now here in 2 Corinthians 8, at the time of this writing, the Corinthians for some reason were a much tougher sell. The generosity wasn't as free-flowing 
contributions weren't as quick or sure. Now, we never find out from Paul what the exact reason is that the Corinthians were a little more reluctant to give this time around. And you know, whenever the Bible leaves a narrative gap like this, for me it's always an invitation for you and I to fill in that narrative gap with our own experience. So that even though the Bible doesn't tell us why the Corinthians were more reluctant to give this second time around, I think you and I know. Just based on our own experience, you and I know. You and I know the reasons for being reluctant to a stewardship sermon and a stewardship series. Maybe the economy tanked in the last year. Maybe the stock portfolios plummeted. Maybe there were one too many layoffs, pink slips, tough conversations with the boss. Maybe there were more unemployed people in Corinth than there were a year before. Maybe it was a spiritual issue. Maybe, maybe people were just more reluctant to commit to anything to the church, let alone anything else in the community. Maybe they were just being saturated by one too many requests, by too many charitable organizations, that it just became this saturated, staticky white noise of one pledge and plea for money after another. Maybe there was a question about whether or not their small gifts would actually make a difference. Maybe there was a deeper question of whether or not their money was going to be used responsibly and get directly to the people who really needed it. Oh, the excuses are plentiful. The reasons are limitless because they are the same barriers that you and I have pondered year after year after year. And it could be that some of you are really stuck in some of those barriers right now. You see what's happening here? The Corinthian church is a lot like us. Which is why Paul said what he said in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 10 and 11. He said it boldly and plainly, right up front with the Corinthians. He said it this way, I paraphrase. He said, you started to give last year with enthusiasm. So now, finish the job. Finish what you started, Corinth. You know, regardless of how long you have been a part of this church or any other church, you know that inevitably what is a critical part of the annual life cycle of every congregation is the annual money talk, the stewardship sermon. You know that the stewardship series is bound to happen at some point along the way, oftentimes in the fall, right here squarely in November, right here along the Christian year, just as it does for most every other congregation. And you know, there may have been a time in your life, just like the Corinthians, where it was easier for you to give. Maybe you could find a time in your life when filling out that commitment card felt so fresh and novel and joyful that it was something that you looked forward to and you did it enthusiastically and energetically. And maybe you could point to a time in your life when giving generously was a joyful thing and something that brought you great freedom. But like the church in Corinth, that was then. 
And this is now. And now, when a preacher has to stand before you, just like Paul did with the Corinthians, it doesn't feel as joyful anymore. In fact, now, the topic of money feels like a subject we'd rather ignore. You might say it feels like an elephant in the room, a subject that we would just rather ignore. But Paul wouldn't let us do that. The gospel doesn't let us ignore it. God's word doesn't let us sweep this elephant under the room. It invites us to acknowledge it, which is why, did you happen, did you happen to notice the giant elephant in the courtyard? That's why it's there. Someone asked me today whether Hyde Park was turning into Lowry Park. <laughs> Not quite. It's because for the next three weeks we are going to acknowledge this elephant in the room, the subject of money, a subject that we would by and large like to ignore, but the Bible doesn't let us. So instead of the money talk being something that generates enthusiasm and energy and optimism, we would rather ignore it, but the Bible won't let us. This series acknowledges that there is a little bit of the Corinthian church in all of us. There's a part of us that finds filling out a commitment card difficult and we are reluctant to give. And if there is anyone here in the sanctuary this morning who has never given a commitment card for one valid reason or another, I want you to know you are not alone. That not only are there others of you here in the sanctuary like you, but you are preceded by a whole litany of churches, beginning with the Corinthians, that need convincing, just like you. And Paul is not willing for any of us to be left off the hook. So, what does a person do when they're trying to motivate someone to do something that they are reluctant to do? Employs the power of testimony. So Paul started to tell the Corinthians a story. A story about some people that they were very familiar with. People that, as it turns out, were a lot like them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, in the scripture that we just had read for us, Paul starts telling them about a group of people called the Macedonians. You know the Macedonians, right? People of Corinth. They're your neighbors. They live just north of you. They, they live in the same land as you. They live right there in the same region. And you know what? They've had the same kind of experience you've had economically. They too have had lots of barriers to overcome in order to give generously. They too have had lots of reasons not to give. They've had hardship just like you. But you know what? Let me tell you something. These Macedonians, Paul said, found a way to overcome those barriers. And when they did, they experienced freedom and the joy of sacrifice and the peace that comes with generosity. He told them at the beginning of chapter 8 that even though the Macedonians were beset by all sorts of economic hardships, they gave and they did so out of a sense of happiness and joy that shaped their lives and guided their generosity. And Paul is basically saying, if it could happen for the Macedonians, it could happen for you. 
And there is no verse in this entire passage that most distinctly, succinctly, and concretely says Paul's message than this one in verse 8. Paul says, I'm not giving an order, but by mentioning the commitment of others, I'm trying to prove the authenticity of your love also. I love that Paul says, I'm not giving an order. Paul's basically saying, you know what? You may have been through a lot of pleas for money that were heavy-handed or coercive or manipulative, but I'm not going to come at you with a hammer. I'm not into guilt-tripping or fear-mongering or coercing or manipulating. No one is going to try to strong-arm you or hammer the generosity out of you. That's not what this is about. Paul was simply saying, look, church in Corinth, there is an elephant in the room. There is a problem in the world, and the solution is in your pockets. And even though it's understandable that you might be reluctant to release your financial resources for the work of the kingdom, I simply want to tell you, not strong-arming or guilt-tripping you, I want to tell you that there is a group of people who have done it, and they've overcome the same obstacles you're facing, and look what's happened to them. Paul shared the testimonial of the Macedonians for the church in Corinth And by and large, that's exactly what the Corinthians needed to hear. The power of testimony. Which is exactly what I want to share with you right now. About a month ago, our stewardship planning team sent out a survey to every member of this congregation. A survey that contained only three questions. It required only a couple minutes to respond to. Questions about your financial giving. And I have to tell you, the response to this survey was amazing. 250 responses came back to us. And if you were one of those individuals who responded, we thank you very much not only for your response, but the way in which your responses have shaped our thinking as a stewardship team in the way that we will go about these next few weeks. And one of those questions simply asked this, why do you make a financial commitment to the church? Why do you pledge to the church? And your answers were simply astonishing. The vast majority with very few exceptions, acknowledged the barriers that they had to overcome in order to give, which were outweighed by the amazing benefits of making a pledge to the church. And since these, since these responses were anonymous, I'd like to share some of them with you right now. One of the people who responded to the question, why do you make a financial commitment to the church, answered in this way, said, I trust that the church will use it for good. It seems that there are so many requests for charity in the community these days. I guess I trust that the church will use my contributions and pledge my best interests. A second person said this, I see giving as part of my spiritual discipline. We need to give more, though, and make sacrifices in other areas. And then this person quotes the Bible, offers the words of Jesus, where your treasure is, your heart is 
also. I love what this third person said. He said, it is the least I can do to support the spread of God's message and mission of love in our community. I don't tithe yet, but I am working toward that goal. It's kind of like if I listen to NPR and don't give something, then I feel like I'm stealing. If I go to church and enjoy the programming and excellent leadership, then I'm stealing from the church if I don't give something to support what I get from it. Finally, I want to share this one with you. I believe that it rightfully belongs to God and have found that when I give, I also receive. Plus, our church plays a very important role in my life, and I believe in supporting the institution that helps me experience life more fully. Response after response. Answer after answer like this. 250 in total, each of them representing the life of someone who simply wants to tell their story of how they acknowledged the barriers that they had to give and experience the benefit of generosity in return. In fact, that's what next week's sermon is all about. What the barriers are that all of us face in relation to our giving. But the reviews are in. And the endorsements are clear, and the testimonials are all in agreement. All of these people said, giving to God is part of our spiritual practice, and it is something that all of us should do. And in the context of this sermon, I only had time to read for you four of them. But there are so many more, dozens more. In fact, during the offertory, after my sermon, later in this service, as the choir is offering their offertory anthem, I'll I'll offer you your attention to the screen as you read more responses of people in this church as to the reasons why they give. With all the problems that we face in this community and throughout the world, there is one surefire solution, and it comes when the people of God work together. The problems may be big, but the solution is within us, guided by the power of the Spirit generated by the grace of God. When we do this together, the kingdom can be built. Which means there is one last thing that I'd like for you to do today. Before you head off to your cars and resume your Sunday, after you've said goodbye to Danny and Amber out in front of Magnolia, when you go to the Harnish Activity Center to observe and celebrate the alternative Christmas market, Go to the activity center and pick up one of these. It's your stewardship packet for this year. A packet with your name on it, the contents of which have been specifically generated with your own specific information, a content that is exclusively yours. We'll invite you to take your packet home, open it, read through the material, And begin a journey of prayer as you reflect deeply and spiritually on the kind of commitment that you are going to make as you fill out your pledge card for this year and bring it back in two weeks. You've heard stewardship pitches before. We've been through this year after year after year. But this year I want to invite you to consider the possibility that you might add your story 
to the list of saints who have experienced the power of generosity so that your testimonial can be used to make a difference in the world around us and the world that will follow us. Pick up your packet and let's prepare for our Commitment Sunday on November 22nd. And let's remember this, that when we name this elephant in the room and claim it and ultimately release it through our commitments and acknowledge that one subject we cannot ignore, we can add our own story to those who are around us that testify to the power of generosity. Let us pray. God, we acknowledge that the problems are deep and wide throughout the world, and in so many ways the solution is in our pockets, and it's in our time, and it's in our treasure. Guide us throughout these weeks to listen carefully to the work of your Spirit as it calls us and guides us to do things that we may be reluctant to do. We thank you for the testimony of others. May we add our story to theirs. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.